Hey cousins, this is Tiff. Today's topic is a little mature for our younger audience. Listener discretion is advised. And I'm Tiff, and we're your Curious Cousins, where we talk about everything kooky and spooky in the state of Oklahoma. Welcome to episode 47. Welcome. How are you? I am good. How are you? I'm good. I'm great. It's been a week. Oh, has it? (laughs) It's just been like, uh, I feel like my work week has kind of gone by, but it hasn't at the same time. (laughs) Like, I'm just ready for the weekend. (laughs) Anyway, my my niece, Ava, who was on the show, had yes, a birthday yes. on Tuesday. So shout out to happy birthday, Ava. Happy birthday, Ava. And uh, yeah, any any business? Uh, Ooh, oh. We have a lot of exciting things coming up. Oh, <laughs> August. We're going yes. on the Oklahoma City ghost, ghost tour, tour with Jeff Provine. Super excited about that. Yes. And then in October... Tiff and I are going to do a Tulsa Arts Deco ghost walking tour. Yeah. So that'll be fun. I'm so excited. Who is putting that on? Um, it, ooh, One second. Do, 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 do. Okay. It's the uh, Tulsa Foundation for Architecture. Oh. Is, is who is putting that on. That's very cool. And so. I know that uh, Tulsa Spirits Tours did add some Broken Arrow Yes. Dates. Which we need to get tickets for that yes so we're gonna do that it'll be fun yeah it'll be fun lots of things oh something really cool is coming up this saturday at the museum of um, oh yeah osteology yeah and um but i just can't we can't make it work where we could get to go but they were doing a forensics seminar and um i think i posted about it on the on the um, socials, but I don't remember if I did or not. But if I didn't, then I'm going to go do that. And if anybody is in that um, area, the Oklahoma City area or the Norman area, they should go and tell us how it is. Yeah, for sure. Because if we didn't have other things going on, we would definitely (laughs) probably be going. So I know, for sure. Because you're going to the Paramore concert. I am. um, It was (laughs) Ava begged me to go. (laughs) (laughs) And so this is kind of like, her birthday, her Christmas. Mm-hmm. She's just gonna be a senior this year, so it's her graduation. <laughs> <laughs> so she's pretty excited. So that is fun. That's fun. I will be at a concert. Yes, so. I went to the Dixie Chicks last week, so it was fun. I guess the chicks now, yeah. not the Dixie Chicks. The chicks. I went and saw them. They had a really good turnout. It was packed. The wow, BOK it was packed and it was good. It was fun. Um, was that at the BOK? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. We had a good time. I went with some of my um, sorority sisters. Oh, so, very nice. I don't Fun. know why I say it like that. Yes, Tiff was in a sorority. but <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. No, I had fun. I liked it. Well, my best friends were in it with me. So Yeah, there you go. We come from all over. Well, I don't, can't think of anything else. No, me neither. We are doing a part two we on are. the Girl Scouts murders. So, we are. Um, of course, if you you know if you're listening us, if you're listening to us from the beginning, then you'll have heard my warning about the um, content being probably a little mature for our younger audiences. So you may want to go ahead and skip out on it. Otherwise, let's get into it. Buckle up because <laughs> you are focusing on this episode is going to be on Jean Leroy Hart, one of the suspects. Yes, one of the suspects, yes. and now. I guess we could say the killer podcast. We're unable to say this, but Mm -hmm. uh, DNA have proven that he was the one to commit these crimes. Yes. Now, whether or not he was alone, that's the that's another that's another something we'll get into, I suppose. So, yeah. So let us um, know about this. The sources are pretty much the same. 
Um, I did add uh, Shattered Justice by J.D. Morrison. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to include that. But um, any other sources are the same same as as you used last week. Perfect. Mostly. Okay. So um, as I said earlier, Ava's birthday was Tuesday. So Saturday, uh, we celebrated her birthday since Mm -hmm. her birthday was on a Tuesday. And last Saturday before her party, I say party, (laughs) family gathering, really. Um, Anyway, I was talking to my nephew, her brother. Mm -hmm. And um, Tater had asked me because I was doing research for this week's episode. And so Tater had asked me what I was what the research was on. So I had told him that it was the Camp Scott murders and he said, oh, well, my Gigi, which is his maternal grandmother, mm-hmm. said, well, Gigi went to Camp Scott as a Girl Scout. Oh, my goodness. And I said, sounds like I'm going to have to talk to your Gigi sometime. Right. Well, as luck would have it, Gigi and her husband were at Ava's party. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, perfect opportunity. Absolutely. So I asked her about it. And. Um, I, I did ask if she wouldn't mind if I talked about it mm-hmm, on the mm-hmm, podcast mm-hmm. and she said she didn't, she didn't mind. So she told me that, yes, uh, she had gone to camp Scott. She attended it, but she couldn't, um, she didn't, she wasn't there when the murders happened. Okay. So she's, she was, um, a teenager at that point. So she was okay. a little older. I don't know if oh, when okay. she stopped doing Girl Scouts, but, mm-hmm. um, she had just attended previously like maybe in the 60s or something yeah and anyway she said that she couldn't or I can't remember if she said she had she had gone for like the two weeks Mm -hmm. but I don't know if it was just those two weeks for like one summer or if like several summers she went for the two weeks but she did say that she hated it oh um just because she was she wasn't really a fan of the camping oh okay it just wasn't really her thing that wasn't your vibe then Mm -hmm. you wouldn't like it so um she like i said she was there before the the murders happened Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but she did tell me that her younger brother was actually at camp garland when the murders <gasps> took place. Oh my gosh. So, um, and we all know that that Camp Garland was just three miles um, across the road. Yeah, from, south, I think. Yeah, yeah, across the road. Yeah. And it was and, the Boy Scout camp. Yes. And she said that, um, uh, she said that her mom was actually at the hair salon getting her hair done. And I think she said that she. <laughs> had just gotten was like had shampoo in her hair oh my gosh. when on the radio they had heard the announcement mm-hmm. i guess you could say that the newsreel at the, least yeah at, at what had occurred mm-hmm. at camp scott and she said that i mean her mo- mom was obviously like shocked and freaked out and said that um her mom like immediately left the hair salon mm-hmm. and she said, I don't remember if it was just her mom or if her dad went too. I bet I'm, I'm assuming both parents probably right. went, but they did go and pick her brother up. He was one of the three that got picked up. Mm-hmm. Oh but she also said, cause I asked her about that. Cause, um, she said that she thought that the entire Boy Scout camp was, was to be evacuated. Uh-huh. Like she thought that oh. it was being evacuated. So everyone's parents were going to pick them up. Oh. Um, but she didn't remember anything about it remaining open. Right. She just, but so she wasn't really sure about that, mm-hmm. but she does know that her parents did go her pick brother up her brother. Her brother did get picked up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So. Interesting. It's also interesting that you say that and that the boys parents were given the option to come and get them when mm-hmm. the girls parents were not. Yeah. And I want, is, do you think it was, Maybe it was just because the girls' camp was for sure being closed down, and they were sending everybody home. Obviously, because there was an active crime scene there. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It could have been, so, but it's it's weird too because I know, like you said last week too, that they did take more security precautions. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. they had more like security. I don't know if it was like security guards or what that right. were at the yeah, boys' camp. I don't know what it was either, but. Um, yeah, it just, it's I don't know. It's just, well, it is interesting. knowing what we know now and that the 
killers were living in the caves. Mm-hmm. Right. In the area. Right. And so with knowing that there was an active Boy Scout camp well, and there. If you, and if you think about it, three miles is not that far. No. It, I mean, you could make so. it, you could do that in an hour, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but it also, like a part of me, like this is going to be really morbid and sick, but um, you'll get into, you know. We're going to talk about his genes, criminal. Cri- mm-hmm. criminal history. And so I don't think he was interested in boys. And and he wasn't interested in males, where I think mm-hmm. all of his well, and I know, and mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, probably most of our listeners know that his aggressions were a hundred percent towards women. Yes. So, well, and quickly enough, um, you, there's the book out. Uh, what's it called? Cry for the Children. Yes. Is that right? I think so. And it's about um, I think one of the FBI agents, and I. Somebody, somebody wrote it. Like it I think that have. was in like law enforcement. Yeah. Anyway, it's super hard to find. Mm-hmm. If you find it on Amazon, it's like, what was it? Like fifty plus dollars t- on Amazon. It's like out of print, mm-hmm. and I think the library had it, but you had to like go to the library. They wouldn't let you take it out of the library to look oh, at right. it. That's right. You had to stay there. Well, yeah. Here it is. Someone cry for the children. Someone cry for the children. $155. Yeah. On Amazon. Well, and um, crazy enough, my older brother, James, uh, we were talking about this at Ava's little get together and um, he's read that book. Oh. When he worked as a TSA officer. Right. um, One of his, I believe one of his coworkers had the book and Mm -hmm. had brought it and let him read it. Oh, my gosh. Uh, he was talking about it, and I was going, oh, I was just like, oh, my goodness. Wow. And um, I said, well, that was great. I mean, I don't know if great's the right word. I mean, that's amazing that you got to read that. that he got the chance so, to read it. Yeah, because it's such a rare find nowadays. But anyway. I mean, it's going for $250 used on um amazon right now the cheapest one i can find is like 66 dollars. yeah it's just crazy but anyway so anywho a couple little kooky facts i guess little tidbits okay wow so that's insane i mean i have a co-worker mm-hmm. that also attended camp scott oh did she um she did obviously did not go in mm-hmm. 1977 but i believe she had told me she had went in 76 or 75 mm-hmm. and um i don't know if she was supposed to, i couldn't i don't remember now after the conversation if she was supposed to go in 77 or if that just happened to be the year that she did kind go. of opt out of going yeah so um but yeah she had been as well she had been and she's i mean i remember like we i had mentioned something to her about it and she had just said how hot it was mm. And, uh, but she seemed to have enjoyed it, but she was kind of outdoorsy and likes that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's obviously our state is not massive by any means. So, and our population isn't. So I'm sure everybody knows at least somebody who probably had, um, oh, there was somebody who sent us a message on Facebook about it. Okay, so one of our really longtime listeners, big fan of our show, uh, Samantha Tucker. Mm. Uh, hey, Samantha. Hey, Sam. Um, oh, I don't know if you like to be called Sam. Sorry. <laughs> but she had mentioned that her mom lived in the area at the time, and her home was located up against the field where the camp was located. Ooh. And she said that the night this happened, her mom said someone had walked around their house and tried <gasps> to get in the back door. Oh. Thankfully, it was locked, but they did find footprints coming from the field and going around the house, then back to the field. And then a few hours later, they had heard what had happened. <gasps> oh, my goodness. So, oh, how crazy. And you, when you find out, when we get into the reports and stuff, you'll find out that many people in the area did find that kind of stuff. And then, mm-hmm. you know, he did, I think, finally find somewhere to get in and you know, we have those farmhouses that were broken into that they figured out have been broken into. So I think he was just looking for an escape. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I could say that I wouldn't want to stay in a cave either, but. Well, 
Let's yeah. talk about Gene. Let's talk, let's talk about let's him. Let's talk about Gene. So Gene Leroy Hart. You know, let's get into when some of the background. And all three of their names are listed. Oh, I yeah. learned that on another podcast. Yep. Gene Leroy Hart was born November 27th, 1943. He was born in Claremore, Oklahoma at the Indian Hospital there. He was of Cherokee descent. And his teenage mother, Ella May, had nicknamed him Sonny. Why? I don't know. But she did. So I think he went by Sonny a lot. Mm-hmm. He never knew anything of his father, Walter Hart. And Walter was actually married when Jean was born. No, no. But not to Hart's mother, obviously. Oh, no. So in fact, during the time of Hart's birth, Walter's wife of six years had had their third child two months previously. No. Yes. His mother did end up getting married um, to PFC Jesse Buckskin, who was nine years older than she was, and they actually had three more children together. Okay. Sadly, Jesse passed away in 1950 at the age of 33. It didn't say um, why. I think they said it was suddenly, mm-hmm. but never really what had happened. And of course, this left LMA as a single woman. With four children under the age of six. So within the next seven years after Jesse's death, Ella May would have three more children. Wait, three more? Yes. So she had a total of seven, seven kids. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I mentioned this because obviously times were hard for Ella May and her brood of kids. And she had trouble feeding and clothing her children. She did work. Mm -hmm. She worked with what when where she could and did what she could for her children. Well, there's only so much. I mean, as a single person with seven children. Right. And there's only so much work um, you can do. With Gene being the oldest, you know, he he took it the hardest. And this made him angry towards his father, Walter, because, you know, he had to be like the, quote, man of the house and try and help provide where he could for his siblings. siblings and, yeah. Um, so this kind of, he, he, I guess it kind of made him resentful towards his father, like his biological father. And in turn, this also made his younger siblings, especially his brothers kind of resent him because he was, uh, I guess hard on them acting as like a authority figure when he really wasn't or something. I'm sure. Yeah. And so Tiff, you mentioned this last week that Hart had grown up. In the Locust Grove area. Yes. In fact, you mentioned that his mother lived within a mile of Camp Scott. Mm-hmm. And he was very familiar with this area. Hart was an athlete. He played both basketball and football for Locust Grove. One source said that he was voted best athlete by his senior class. Oh. He graduated from Locust Grove High School in 1963. And literally right after he graduated, he married his high school sweetheart. And... I forgot he had gotten married. And um, it did say that she was pregnant at the time. So I don't know if that was the reason why they got married so quickly Mm -hmm. or it was just they were in love and they were going to get married and they were getting married anyway. Do this family thing. So um, they had a son and they end up moving to Tulsa where Hart would work the graveyard shift uh, for a construction company. With that being said, that's let's get into the criminal side. Okay, so that's his. That's that's his, that's his okay. short little background that bio. we're just going to talk about. Okay, his little bio. And you can kind of see how, not that his excuses, but he did seem to have kind of a uh, bit of a rough upbringing, not knowing your father, having the father figure in your life pass away when you were young. Having to be responsible for poverty. your younger siblings, poverty, and you see it in other mass murderers or serial yeah, killers I mean, or spree killers. You I'm, see the same thing. But I also want to point out, he had siblings who were raised the same way as him, right? And, and they, like I said, I'm not using it as an excuse, right? No, but, but they it is still a choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his siblings, most I don't know. I'm not going to assume they all lived. I mean, I you do I don't know of any of his siblings that. Um, Led the life that he did. Yes. 
right. chose the path. Chose that he, the same path. Um, chose. All right. So let's get into it, right? Okay. On the Friday night of June 3rd, 1966, Hart didn't end up going into work that night at his job. He worked at Flint Steel Company in Tulsa. Instead, Hart abducted two young pregnant women, ages 18 and 19, from the parking lot of the Fond du Lhaite nightclub located at 11th and Denver in downtown Tulsa. Does it say, because I, I, of course, know this background that he had. Does it say how far along they were in their pregnancies? Okay. One source said that they were both in the early stages of their pregnancy. Okay. Um, another source said that one of them was six months into her pregnancy. And the other, I think, said it was four months okay. for her. Um, they both were married. However, one had actually just gotten a divorce mm-hmm. from her husband. And the other one had just was newly married, but had gotten into a fight with her husband. And so they were friends mm-hmm, and decided mm-hmm. that they were just going to kind of go out and have a little, a little bit of, of a girl's night. Okay. okay. And um, not, you know, not saying this or that, mm-hmm. but they were just going out to kind of have a free night and which, I, which I, they were entitled to do you and i think so okay well i'll get into it okay. here in, in a minute but um the fond du Lhaite nightclub was a place where you could it said byob and i'm sitting here going bring your own boyfriend bring your own booze oh, like Jess. what you know what i mean like <laughs> like booze right well it's bring your own bottle, bottle technically yeah and so you would bring i didn't know this oh. so you would well i mean like I knew what BYOB could but I didn't know this particular fact. Oh, okay. So during this time, remember, this is 1966. So you would bring your own liquor, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then the bartender would open it for you and then mix you a drink with the bottle that you brought. And I think that that I read that they had live music there, Mm -hmm. and it was just generally a place that you you could go to meet meet up with people right. or just, you know, just hang out, have a good it's time. It's just a nightclub, you know? It's, it's just, just a, a nightclub. nightclub. Right. And you got to remember, There's probably 1960s yeah. was a different time where women still smoke and had a cocktail if they wanted while they were pregnant. Well, yes. So oh, yes. it was just, oh, yes. that was the time. So um, I don't know their last names. I didn't look at their last names, mm-hmm. but the women's names were Kathy and Marjorie. Mm-hmm. The two friends that were abducted, they were the two friends abducted by Hart, and they were actually leaving the Fond du Lhaite nightclub in Tulsa, and it was around two o'clock in the morning, and when they were leaving the club, Kathy and Marjorie reached the car that Kathy had actually borrowed from her mother, and it was um, parked across the street, and they found or they saw another car that was parked next to them, and I I'm sure they just didn't really even think anything of it. So Kathy first unlocked the passenger side door for Marjorie Mm -hmm. for her to get in. And while she was doing that, um, Hart, who was actually in the car next to them. I've got got my heart like beat is that (laughs) I I know what happens, but my heart is just like, oh, he and I'm kind of paraphrasing this. I'm not like going super in depth, like the Shattered Justice book goes into Mm -hmm like the preliminary hearing about this and everything. So if you need more information go check out that book. But anyway, let's, I'm trying to like not make it go overly long, but anyway, so Hart was in the car next to them and he asks Marjorie, is it pretty lively in there? And, you know, Marjorie told him, Oh yeah, you know, you should go, you should go in there. And so while Marjorie is talking to Hart, Kathy is actually walking around the car to go to the driver's side to get in and she she unlocks it for herself and um as soon as the women are were in the car kathy started it up well no i don't like uh, this well hart had i guess gotten out of his car i don't know if i think he was in his car when he was talking to her and had the window down but he had gotten out and so when she started the car, he jerked Marjorie's door open. Oh, my gosh. That's so scary. Telling them he was going with them. 
<laughs> and Marjorie tried to actually push him right um, away and um, had tried to like shut the door. But Hart ended up pulling a gun on gun on them and oh told Marjorie to move over. Oh, my gosh. So Hart had them get in the trunk of of the car and the women said that they could hear him like rummaging around and they thought that he was going through their purses. Hart eventually decides that they aren't going to take that car. They're going to go in his car. Oh, my gosh. So this is going to be terrifying. He then proceeds to. um, Well, he then like forces them in the trunk of his car and then they proceed to drive to a remote place in Mays County. So here's a bit of kooky information. I don't want to call it a fact. It's mm-hmm. just some kooky information. So during this quote, quote trip yeah. to the location that they were, where they would end up, mm-hmm. Hart forced one or both of the women to ride in the trunk of the car. And both of the victims wore eyeglasses. And <laughs> this is where it gets weird. When one of the women would be riding in the trunk, the other would obviously be riding in the car sitting next to Hart. Mm-hmm. And here's where this kooky bit, kooky bit comes in. He would try on their eyeglasses and wear them to see if the prescription was right for him. Like he couldn't see or something. Mm-hmm. And I, it's just like the weirdest thing. And you'll figure, you'll figure out that eyeglasses are a thing with him. So one source said that Hart eventually drove the woman to Mays County deep in the woods where he then, like, here's where this trigger warning comes in. He then raped and sodomized them. Oh, my gosh. Another source said that during the drive to Mays County, he would, like, stop. And then he would release the women from the trunk one at a time and proceed to rape them. So oh my God. And they're pregnant. They're and pregnant. And I mean, at this point, they probably have no idea where they're at because he's right. headed towards Mays County. And and it's dark. It's dark. Oh so gosh. after reaching his destination, Hart makes them walk up some hills and through some brush and into some trees where he gosh. then um, he bounds their hands with friction tape and rope. Hmm. So he used the friction tape to blindfold them as well. Oh, my gosh. He put tape on their face. And one of them actually said that he didn't really do that great of a job that she could still kind of see like under the tape. So when he was hurting, we'll say hurting the other victim. Assaulting the other victim. Right. um, Like she could not see everything, but enough to know what he was doing. Right. And, um, anyway, he also, um, tied ropes around their necks and their hands. He put a piece of rag in their mouths and then taped their mouths to keep their gag in. He then raped both women again and tied their feet with a rope and then left them there. Like, I think he told them like, Oh, I'll come back later. Right. Well, one of the victims was then able to free her hands. Mm-hmm. I think they I think it said that um, they could hear him like walking away. And um, I think in the distance, like in the distance, they could tell that there was some water nearby. They could hear cars on a highway. And um, I think they said that they did hear the car start up. Mm-hmm. And so they waited about 10 to 15 minutes to make sure that he had actually left. He wasn't really coming back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then one of the victims was able to free her hands, which she was then able to untie her feet. And then she was able to untie her friend. So together, the woman found their way back to the highway that was nearby where a car ended up picking them up. She said that they tried to flag. There was like um, a few cars that they tried to flag right. down because at this point it was like seven o'clock in the morning. Oh, oh okay. okay. It was like daylight, so day- yeah. but nobody would stop. Wow. And then finally someone, a good Samaritan finally stopped. Yeah. And a car picked them up and ended up taking them to city marshal to the city marshals uh, of Shoto's house. And I didn't write down his name where then the marshal then called um, the sheriff of Mays County and the sheriff met them at, at the marshal's house, oh city gosh. marshal's house. And um, there 
the women were able to describe Hart, mm-hmm. um, his car. One of them actually remembered a partial of his license plate. And so, I mean, I'm glad he was an idiot. I'm like, what an idiot. I mean, you had the opportunity to take someone else's car. Right. And they said that I, one source that I had read said that they had been brutally beaten, but I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think one of them had like a busted lip and of course they had like bruises and stuff from like the ropes and stuff like that. And don't get me wrong. What they went through was horrible already. But um, I don't think they were brutally beaten like it I was made to I believe. I had heard somewhere that they speculated that he was leaving them for dead, like leaving them that they were going to die. Like, well, and if that's what he from what I gathered, I think he had every intention of coming back. You think? OK, probably maybe to finish them off. Do you right. Think? OK. I mean, I don't know if it was whether to finish them off or keep doing what he was doing i mean how long do you think they were going to survive out there like that though i think it i think it was just lucky that he was incompetent absolutely i mean that's what we i think so gene leroy hart was picked up the next day in prior oklahoma and confessed to the crimes he he didn't even go that far no because isn't prior in mays county I believe so. Yeah. I think it's actually this, the um, county seat. Okay. I believe. I couldn't remember if, it, if that was or if Shoto was. I think prior is, but I could be wrong. I don't know. So he pled guilty to the charges of first degree rape and kidnapping, and he was given 10 years jail time. And I did read once I said that um, he got for the three counts that he was charged with, each was 10 years. So um, while he was in prison you know he was now this convicted rapist his wife divorced him took their son away and one source said that she even changed his name and this was something that Hart apparently never got over her changing his name um he spent his time at oklahoma's granite reformatory and was considered a model prisoner Ooh. After 28 months, just a little over two years of incarceration, Hart was paroled on March or in March of 1969, where he then returned to his mother's house in Locust Grove. As you can imagine, Mm. being a convicted rapist, Hart had a really hard time finding a job um, to support himself. And so, of course, Hart resorted to committing burglaries. So let's talk about that. Prior Creek is the county seat of Mason. Prior Creek. So June 1st, 1969, Hart breaks into the residence of Ronnie and Susan Furr. Now, I don't know if I'm saying that right. He broke in while they were sleeping. Oh. The break-in occurred in the early morning hours of June 1st. Hart removed the window screen, forced Ugh. open the window, and climbed into the occupied apartment without awakening the furs. Oh my gosh. Oh, I do not like that. Taken from the apartment were a purse with personal papers and a checkbook inside. The furs did not report the, bu- the burglary to the police. I don't know why, but um, they didn't report it. So June 1st, 1969, later that same morning. Wow. After the fur residence break in, Hart tried to break into the apartment of Eugene Latham. The door to the apartment had been left unlocked. Hart entered the apartment, taking a billfold. Uh, Mr. Latham didn't didn't report the theft either, but that was because he thought that he may have simply just misplaced his wallet and didn't suspect it had been stolen. June 2nd, 1969, Gene Hart entered the apartment of Stephen Stewart, also through an unlocked door. People, lock your doors. Lock your doors. I had some doors. people who responded back to me last week. I'm not going to say who they are because I don't want people to look them up who they are, leaving their, their keys in their cars. When you live in a big city like Tulsa or Oklahoma City, even more, Owasso, wherever you are at, lock your doors. Right. right. I don't. So I don't care. If jack wagons like this can't get too. in. Right. Anyway. Okay. So June what 2nd. Time, what, what town does this take place in? His his burglaries tulsa oh oh tulsa. I, believe, I believe all of them are tulsa oh my gosh yeah y'all need to lock your doors in tulsa for sure so june 2nd 1969 
Jean Hart entered the apartment of Steve Stewart, also through an unlocked door. Hart stole a white-handled paring knife as well as Stewart's billfold. Mm. Stewart's billfold was taken from a nightstand. Get this. Only six, six inches from Stewart's head while he was sleeping. Oh, my God. And this... I, I don't know what's more terrifying. The fact that he is gutsy, pardon my language, ballsy yeah. enough to break in while there are people there. Or if to know that he's breaking in. I don't know. I think I would rather, I would be more terrified knowing that he broke in and I was present. Right. And I didn't know it. Because he could do anything. Absolutely anything. And it said he preferred to break in while it was occupied. I mean, I'm having flashbacks of like the Golden State Killer right now. Right. You know? Right. Oh my gosh. Oh so, my gosh. This last one just like takes the cake. Okay. <laughs> I can't even with this. June 7th, 1969. Hart breaks into the apartment of Tulsa police officer oh my Heather Campbell. <laughs> He's an idiot. Campbell had just finished her shift at 2 a.m. and was still half awake when she heard someone working on the lock on the apartment. She then saw a hand. Oh, no, 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 no. Working. Or, uh, she saw a hand and an arm coming into the room past the door and it was moving towards her purse. One source said she took her pistol from the <sighs> nightstand. Another said she pulled the pistol from under her pillow and ordered. Regardless, she pulled the pistol. She pulled, she pulled her yeah. pistol and ordered her. the person to stop. But they continued moving towards her purse. He's an idiot. Oh, my God. She pulled back the hammer on the revolver and that sound caused Hart to pull back and leave the residence. Campbell called the police department right away. Two of her fellow officers quickly came to her apartment. And as they began discussing what had happened, all of them then hear the sound of another doorknob being jiggled up on the second floor of the complex. Hart was arrested um, with no resistance. Oh, my God. To the two officers, his car was searched and later or his car was searched later and in the trunk was found Susan Fur's white straw purse. Inside her purse were Latham and Stewart's billfolds. Hart had regrets about pleading guilty during his first <laughs> yeah, um, trial for the rapes and the kidnapping. And that and that it said that he felt like it had ruined his life. Here's the thing. No, you Pleading guilty did not ruin your life. Your actions is what you ruined the choice your to kidnap life. and assault two women. Is pregnant what, women. Yeah, not just women, which life. it was awful anyway, but right. pregnant women. Pregnant women. Assault, multiple assaults on them <sighs> and taking them out and leaving them. Essentially leaving them for dead. Right. But leaving them out in the middle of nowhere. No, or that. For, for an, a fate worse than death. Right. More of whatever you, he was doing. Yeah, more of whatever he had planned. No, that ruined your life, sir. So... It, this him pleading guilty for this um it made him have a deep distrust of the defense lawyers oh and brother. he he decided that he would never plead guilty to anything ever again oh no so he would he was um he would fight to make them prove that he was guilty it said he was gonna whatever it was he was gonna fight to make them prove him guilty so and sorry. Wow. so Trunk full of wallets. <laughs> well, in spite of the DA offering Hart four 10-year terms that he could serve at the same time for all four robberies, which that sounds like a, like a pretty good would deal. Would have been a plea deal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Instead he, of serving 40 years, you're only serving 10. He chose to go to four separate trials with four separate juries. Idiot. September 25th, 1969, convicted of Campbell burglary. October 21st, 1969, convicted of Stewart burglary. December 9th, 1969, convicted of the Latham bur- burglary. January 20th, 1970, convicted of the fur bur- burglary. Sorry, I was doing saying burglary so well, and then it just kind of... <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Since Hart had been released on parole for the prior oh, rape and, and kidnapping charges, and then he committed these four burglaries while still on parole and was convicted of those... His new combined prison sentences now totaled more than 300 years in prison. 300 plus years in prison. This time, Hart was sent to 
the Big Mac, the Oklahoma State Penitentiary oh in McAllister, Oklahoma. It breaks your heart, though, because that's where he should have been. He should have been there all along. He should have been there the whole he time. He never should have been paroled. He sh- never should have ever gotten to step foot out of that prison. He should still be there today. I don't know. He might be dead. No, no. He should still be there today. I know people born in the 40s that are still alive. In the spring of 1973, while serving his sentence in the Big Mac, Hart was temporarily moved to the Mays County Jail in connection with the post-conviction relief hearing on the 1966 kidnapping and rape incident. And I think it was um, Hart was wanting to withdraw his guilty plea for the, for the 1966 crimes and have his conviction set aside. Well, that was thrown like that was, was like, say, no, we're not even do that. Can you, you have... Well, it didn't happen. Okay. So there is some more conflicting information. One source said that just days after arriving at the Mays County Jail, Hart and a fellow inmate, Larry Dry, escaped from the jail by sawing through the bars on their cell. And Larry Dry collaborates that. The saw blade was allegedly smuggled in by Hart's mother, LMA. Allegedly. It's not proven. But it's suspected. Another source said that Hart and Dry just escaped, but didn't say how. Either way, both Hart and Dry escaped, and 11 days later were caught when a fireman noticed smoke coming out of a window of an abandoned house. The fireman assumed the house was on fire. Right. But what actually was happening was an ill fated attempt to make coffee using a trashed coffee pot. Hart and Dry were returned. Yeah. Hart and Dry were returned to the Mays County Jail. One source said that a friend convinced Hart to turn himself in. I don't know if that was the case or whatever. But they ended up back in back in jail. Um, I like how one source said this. <laughs> it said that Hart proved allergic to jail. And on September 16th, 1973, <laughs> he and his good old cellmate, Larry Dry, escaped once again from jail. They're still so, in the Mays County Jail. They're right. still. Yes. So in the spring. I I, there's nothing to get mad about. You can't get mad about it anymore. In but. the spring of 1973, they escaped. One source said it was May. One said it was April. So that's why I just said spring. It's probably like April 30th, May 1st area. <laughs> Something like yes, that. Probably. So they escaped. We're out for 11 days. Returned back to prison. And in September of that same year. Got out again. He. They both escape again. So one source said that this was when an unknown accomplice smuggled in a hacksaw, which he then used on the bars of his cell. So I don't know if it was this point when they first escape or second escape. Right. I don't know which one. At some point they sawed some. One or the other. There was a saw that was used to saw the bars. Not possibly both. Right. Um, another source said that Hart and Dry escaped while being left unattended out of lockup. Uh, this source also said that Hart and Dry split when they escaped. So one went one way, one mm-hmm. went the other. Dry was caught fairly quickly. Right. Hart, hiding in the area, was able to stay free. Again, he knew this area well, having grown up there. He hid part of the time in the caves mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that were around, which he was very familiar with. Now, remember, this area is heavily populated with members of the Cherokee Nation. Mm-hmm. It is speculated. want to reiterate that. Speculated that Hart was aided uh, by the fact that many of the Cherokees in the area didn't trust the white man's law, nor Sheriff Weaver who I think you mentioned previously. He's the lead sheriff on the Mm -hmm. Girl Scout case. With that being said, some offered assistance to Hart, enabling him to avoid capture. So from time to time, someone would in Mays County would spot Hart and Weaver's inability to catch Hart became this kind of running joke among the Mm -hmm. locals. Mm -hmm. Four years later, Hart is still free and it is now June 1977, and three Girl Scouts were dead. Hart's record and proximity to the crime made him a prime suspect. But to many people, it started to seem that Weaver had already kind of had this preconceived um, guilty Verdi- yeah. verdict. 
and that he was out to convict Hart of the of the crimes, regardless of whatever the evidence would come to say. Mm-hmm. Patrolman Paul Smith was convinced that there was more to the story and a lot more that anyone knew, and yet he stayed quiet about it. He was going to just, just wait it out and yeah. bide his time just and a, just yeah. see what might unfold. Um, he did everything he could, and the information that he had given to the OSBI had obviously been ignored. And that is where we're going to stop. And we're next week. We'll talk about the manhunt and probably the trial maybe. Yeah. So, um, this is just, this case is just so big. It, there's just so many facets to it. And, right. Um, it's so, it well, makes you so angry because he should never have been out. Mm-hmm. I'm not, he should never have been out of jail in the first place. Mm-hmm. Why he ever, there's a part of me that's like, I understand that they were going to try to retry him for that 1966 mm-hmm. kidnapping and rape, but there's no reason why he couldn't have stayed in McAllister and been shipped to Tulsa. Why was he, I mean, I guess it did, they did find him in Mays County, so it was probably reported, but there's no reason why they couldn't have shipped him the day of. Right. No. Or the and, night before the trial. He didn't need to be staying there. Well, and we talk we talk about him because it's important to see um, all aspects of him, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like, yeah, he, you know, the small community sees him as this good old boy. Right. Right. Athlete mm-hmm. person, you know, and then but on the other hand. He raped two pregnant women. He sodomized them. Mm-hmm. He they left them there. Him. He left he pled them guilty. Yeah, he left them there. Like he was gonna come back and do it all right. over again, or kill them, like you said. Right. And um, it just—I don't want to be like, oh, shoulda, woulda, coulda. But it, if he hadn't ever been convicted, those girls would still be here. They'd be alive still. They would still be alive. Right. So it's and just. And you see, I mean, he has all the telltale signs of it mm-hmm. and um, how he escalated. And then, of course, he went to jail for a little bit mm-hmm. and he kind of de-escalated. But you could see the desperation in him because now nobody's hiring him to work. And then he's going to blame everybody else for his problems, mm-hmm. except for him who made the choice to stop at that nightclub. Mm-hmm. And... Just like I think that, I mean, obviously he was on the run for a while before 1977. And it's just, I don't know, it's infuriating. There's a part, and I mean, I know know it only gets worse. I know it only gets worse. Well, I just find it interesting that, um, you know, where were these... Because, you know, he when he got released the first time, he went back to his mother's house because right. his wife divorced him. Right. So he went back to his mother's house, who was still in Locust Grove. So if everyone thought he was this good old boy, why didn't you hire him? Why, why yeah. didn't you give him a job? Yeah. Why did he have to go back to Tulsa? And so it's, it's just um, really sad. Right. Because um, what could have been prevented Mm -hmm. but you know and for almost 50 years they you know claimed that he didn't do it and yeah for a long time this was unsolved but when you look at it and we'll point out uh next week that there's eerie similarities between his conviction of the kidnapping and rape Mm -hmm. and the the assault and murder of the three Girl mm-hmm. Scouts. Yeah. So a lot of it is very similar down to missing glasses mm-hmm. from that were reported from by the the counselors and mm-hmm. then they were found and then you saw, you know, the pictures of the pregnant women from the newspapers he had cut out and yeah. kept and well, and it, I d- <laughs> I didn't really want to say this, but I guess I will now since I mentioned it. Um one source had mentioned that um, when he had assaulted the two pregnant women, the sound that he would make when he was um, doing coming, his, yeah. um, his deeds, I guess. 
someone said that it was the same sound that someone else heard when he was murdering the three children. Hmm. Does mm-hmm. that not just... <sighs> so it's... He's a monster, um, for sure. It's, it's just, heartbreaking. It is. It's heartbreaking because it's almost... He complained about all the short straws that he, quote, you know, like, oh, I can't trust this. Oh, I, you know, I should never play, plead guilty. They, you know, didn't give me a chance, blah, blah, blah. Dude, that you got every sort of break you could have possibly gotten. You got it. Mm-hmm. You busted out of jail twice within almost the same month. So you got moved from a maximum security prison to a little old county jail. They offered you to serve the 10 years of each burglary consecutively. Right. And you Mm. didn't take it. You took four separate trials with four separate jurors who then gave you 90 plus years. Right. Where you end up, you're, you're now like, there's no way you're getting out. I know. And so it's just... And he had the audacity to almost be like, oh, woe is me. No. Right. No. Yeah. And I guess you just you have to look at it and be like, you're lucky. You're lucky that you were – you died in, in, in jail. Mm-hmm. You're lucky that you did. Yeah. Because I don't know the criminal justice system – Which is something we'll get into when would we – Would not have treated The next that. time. But I know, yeah. I think that's – We've talked about it previously, yeah. and I think it's interesting, and I can't wait to talk about it on so, here. But. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, we would love for you to reach out for to us at CuriousCousinsOK at gmail.com. You can also find us on all of our socials, on Twitter, Facebook, and on Instagram. We love hearing from you guys. And we would also really love if you would take the time to rate, follow, and review our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform, including Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Amazon. And Jess, tell them what to keep it. Keep it cookie and spooky. Bye. Bye.